Uh, Father God, we pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would really uh, fill this, uh, this house this morning, that as we, as we have offered uh, our worship to you, now you would uh, give your presence to us and instruct our hearts and our minds, minister to us as we need. We pray, Lord, that you would equip us for a kingdom life this week, that we would be uh, the witnesses, uh, the servants, the investors, the deliverers that we need to be. Uh, I pray, Lord, that this would be a morning of illumination for many of us, uh, that your word would be a lamp unto our feet, as the scripture says, that you would show us the way that we should go. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody says, worship time was great, uh, our, our blood is pumping, but, but here's, here's a warm-up question. Uh, we, we often say around Blue Water, that when Jesus calls a person, he always calls that person to a purpose. He always calls the person uh, to, well, to a life calling, to a job to do, a kingdom, a kingdom job, uh, a way to uh, change the world. So uh, let's start this morning with a really, really simple, shallow question. What's your life calling? All right, go ahead, share it with the person next to you. What's your life calling? Your life calling. I'm a little bit facetious. That might sound like a really big question, but, uh, but Blue Water veterans might have something interesting to say to you, so it's your life calling. All right, well, there you go. That should be plenty of time to, uh, to discuss the purpose of life. So uh, what's your life calling? Interest, interesting responses that you heard or gave? Somebody, tell me. What's your life calling? In a sentence, please. Lee? To inspire people to follow their calling. How? We all want to do that. By your action and words, what specific actions are you going to take to inspire people to follow their life calling? Like being there, like going to Afghanistan to stand by them. Not, not, not a hollow threat uh, from Lee because she often travels to, shall we say, very interesting places to bring witness. Um, you can tell by our interaction that God is often in the details. Life purpose and life calling is often in the details. So, uh, so some other uh, person, what's your life calling? To avoid interacting with the pastor <laughs> on Sundays. To help restore what's been lost. For... Injustice relationally and professionally. Too general. Too general. What are you restoring to people? Neurological function. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah, neurological function and, and hopefully, you know, all, all that means. 
sort of a, an apprehension, a facility with truth and reality and functionality. That sounds like there's a cool story there. Um, I mean, it's an, in, it's an interesting question, right? It's, it's, it might be hard to answer on the spot, but there's no question more vital. Uh, you should be able to answer it on the spot. And a huge part of our discipleship, our walk after Jesus lay in our ability, lies in our ability to, um, to answer that question. What are we supposed to be doing? I mean, what are we really supposed, what are we, what are we individually, what are you uniquely supposed to be doing today? And if you can answer that question, you're on your way. If you cannot answer that question, I know you're stuck in life. I promise you, you're stuck. I promise you. Uh, you're spinning your wheels, you're running out of energy, um, every season is feeling the same. And we've talked about that a lot of Blue Water. That's one of our staples, talking about purpose and building a pathway uh, to purpose. Anyway, that's the context. Uh, maybe, maybe the most important context in which I understand the life of Paul. We started a sermon series last week. It's just sort of a scriptural study of the life of Paul, who is uh, probably the greatest missionary of all time, uh, the greatest church planter of all time. Uh, Paul is the guy that uh, he's, he's credited with writing up to 13 or 14 of the 27 New Testament books. He probably didn't write that many, uh, somewhere like collections of his teachings by other people and stuff like that. But a huge portion of the Bible was either written by this guy or inspired by this guy. A large part of the book of Acts, which is our chief historical account of the life of the early church, centers on the life of Paul and what he did to take the gospel of Jesus, the knowledge and, 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 and discipleship of Jesus, and to spread it literally uh, around, around the world, all the known world uh, in, in his day. Uh, he was uh, probably the most influential, arguably the most influential Christian in history, Jesus aside, um, really foundational uh, to who we are as, as a people. And in Scripture, we get the story of his background. We get the dramatic story of his conversion, which we started studying last week. Uh, we get a description of his calling and the details of how he walked it out. This was a man of purpose. And, uh, and the character sketch we get of Paul in Scripture says a lot to us about what it's like uh, to live a kingdom life, uh, what it's like to live a life uh, after Jesus. Paul was clearly a guy who understood the connection between conversion, coming to faith in Jesus, and calling, following Jesus. And he understood that they were inseparable. Uh, the guy had a lot of divine experiences, a lot of crazy supernatural interactions with God and through God. And he had a lot of human experiences too, a lot of problems in his relationships, a lot of rejections, a lot of practical challenges. Uh, he had what we around here call a blue water life. The reason we call ourselves Blue Water Mission is because we don't, we don't want to live faith in such a way like, you know, like, like, like a sailor who hugs the coast, sailing in the, gro- the, the green water or the shallow water. We want to a deep blue water life. We want to be far out and in deep with Jesus. We want to live life in such a way that if God does not send a breeze to fill our sails, we're dead. We are adrift in the middle of nowhere. We want to live a life of risk and adventure. And, and, and Paul definitely lived a blue water life uh, in that sense. Uh, a quick review of last week. Uh, we got introduced uh, to this guy. He's called Saul. 
uh, in the early accounts in scriptures. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Greek or Roman name. Uh, he lived uh, most of his ministry life in the Greek or Roman world outside of uh, Israel proper. And so he, he usually went by Paul after a point. But we're introduced to Saul uh, in, uh, in uh, the early chapters of, of the book of Acts. And uh, he became well-known uh, in Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of the, the first Christian church there because uh, he liked to persecute Christians. Uh, he was there at the execution of the first Christian martyr, a man named Stephen. And then he became the guy uh, that all the sort of the religious experts of Jerusalem went to in order to hunt down Christian leaders and to see that they were thrown into jail or executed. Uh, Saul became the enforcer of the anti-Christian movement of his day. Uh, and we pick up his story in Acts chapter 9. He's gotten, some, he's gotten a warrant, essentially, uh, from uh, the, uh, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, and he's on his way to a nearby town called Damascus, where he's going to hunt down Christian leaders and see that they get thrown into jail and dragged back into Jerusalem to, uh, to stand trial and possibly be killed. So he hates Jesus, and he hates the followers of Jesus. And on the road to Damascus, a very famous story, a bright light shines in heaven and falls upon Saul. He's knocked to the ground. He's literally blinded. His eyes are blinded. And Jesus himself speaks to Saul out of the light and says, you know, Saul, Saul, why, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Well, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm Jesus. Uh, to which Paul responds uh, something like, uh-oh. He doesn't actually say that in the account, but you can imagine. Uh, Paul is helped into Damascus where he sits blind uh, for three days, doesn't eat and drink until a Christian disciple named Ananias, a prophet, visits him and, and heals his eyes. And last week we talked about what those three days must have been like for Saul, sitting there, literally blinded, not eating, not drinking, just thinking about the grave error he had made in trying to be passionate for God. He had ended up persecuting God, uh, betraying God, murdering innocent people. And Saul just sat there and just gave it the gravity that it was due in blindness. Uh, during those three days, uh, the Lord spoke to him evidently and said, I've got work for you to do. Uh, you're going you're gonna to be a witness of mine uh, among the Gentiles, among the non-Jews. You're going to take the truth of God and you're going to spread it uh, all over the place. And at that time, I doubt that Saul knew what would be involved or exactly what it meant on the detailed level. But he knew that he had some kind of calling from God, that God was not just striking him down and punishing him, that God was not just correcting his mindset and his understanding of what was true. God was giving him a job. He had a job to do. And, and somewhere in there, Saul made the connection between conversion, understanding God correctly, coming to faith in Jesus, and calling, uh, going, going to work. The Lord uh, explained Saul's calling this way uh, in Acts chapter 9. He said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
which is a great thing to have on your business card. What's your job? Oh, I suffer for God. Excellent, excellent. Uh, how's the insurance? We're picking up the story in the second half of Acts chapter 9. Uh, and this is uh, <clears throat> right after Paul or Saul gets his sight back. Um, right after he's, uh, he's healed, he gets baptized, he ends his three-day fast. And, and this is what happens next, immediately next. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, uh, which is saying something because, remember, he went there to kill them. All right. But he spent several days in their hospitality. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, so Saul was a pretty smart guy. He had three days to think about it. He went from uh, denying that Jesus was the Messiah to to uh, using Scripture, presumably, to prove that Jesus was the Messiah to all of these uh, religious Jews in Damascus. After many days had gone by, there was conspiracy among the Jews to kill him, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. My, my, how the tide has turned. He's gone from hunter to hunted. But his followers took him by night. He already has followers, in other words. His followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. It would have been a walled city. And so they helped him escape from the city. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples there. But they were all afraid of him. Well, yeah. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, this guy Barnabas, uh, who's going to figure pretty prominently in the book of Acts. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, to the chief guys. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. He told them of Saul's work. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, that, that is the Greek-speaking Jews, because because uh, you remember Saul was a Greek speaker. He had grown up in the town of Tarsus. But they tried to kill him. Well, here you go. He's not very far into his career. He's already uh, suffered two attempted murders. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus where he came from. They sent him back home to be safe. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit it increased in number. Well, Saul has a pretty changed life, a pretty immediately changed life. He goes from being the hunter to the hunted, like I say. He has almost an immediate impact uh, in the religious communities uh, around him. When Saul got his sight back, you know, when he was healed and he was baptized, and, and you know, on the, on the fourth day after his amazing encounter with God, um, he would have woken up in Damascus and had nowhere to go. Right? He, had, he had no more job. He wasn't going to be a, a hunter of Christians anymore. 
he had, he had no more credibility, no more reputation. Um, we learned from other sources that uh, there were already some Christians in his biological family, um, but it's unclear that uh, he knew this at the time. It just, I mean, he had nothing. It was a clear duck. He had to start over a- entirely. And it says in uh, the second sentence of this passage, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And I think the key phrase to the whole passage is that one, at once. Some of your translations may read immediately or right away. At once, Saul got to work. I think this is the key. I think this is the key to understanding the passage. And and if I uh, were to be a little bit grandiose about it, I think this is probably the key to understanding Paul's entire life. At once, the dude got to work. Uh, there would be a number of years between, you know, this, uh, these first few days in Damascus and Saul becoming the great apostle Paul, the great church planter. I mean, there were, there were uh, some years of, of maturation in his ministry uh, for sure. But clearly, right away, Saul got on the path. He jumped in. No delay. And neither would he ever, ever get sidetracked from his job. He went straight to work and never quit. And I I think there's something in, in that moment, I think there's something in that phrase, at once, that defines Saul as a man. Uh, the passage tells you all that you need to know, I think, about how he approached the kingdom life. Uh, the key to understanding Saul slash Paul, you know, it wasn't his education. It wasn't his great intelligence. It wasn't, it wasn't his horror at what he had done, the grave sin that he had committed in, in hunting down and, and murdering Christians uh, in the early days. It wasn't what it, even the the supernatural drama of his conversion and his initial encounter with Christ, I think, I think what, what defined Saul was his, you know, and I don't know quite what to call it, work ethic, mission ethic. He understood that conversion equals calling. He just understood it. He knew that when Jesus called a person he always calls that person to a job, and he didn't hesitate. He absorbed that understanding down to the marrow of his bones, such that within days of his conversion, people were trying to kill him for preaching Jesus too strongly. His, let's just call it his work ethic. And it was on the basis of his, his work ethic, the fact that he went to work, the fact that he jumped in on the ministry team, that, uh, that ultimately the other believers, the other leaders would accept him. When Barnabas introduced him to the apostles, he said, no, no, he's converted and he's been ministering. Uh, he's gone to work. He's been uh, inspiring people with the truth of Jesus and their calling, as Lee said earlier. Um, it was everything uh, to his life. We can fill out the story a little bit. I told you that, um, that Paul... Uh, features throughout the New Testament. It's not just this 
this account in the book of Acts, but he wrote a whole bunch of uh, the books of the New Testament, uh, which are really letters uh, that he wrote to other churches. And occasionally in those letters, he talks about himself a little bit. Like in Galatians chapter 1, he gives an account of his early days as a believer and as a minister and, and why he behaves as he behaves. He explained to, to uh, the church in Galatia, which was a church that he started, he said, you know, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel was proclaimed, that was proclaimed by me to you was not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to me and explained things. You have heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. I was that guy. I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. I was a very, very religious guy. But when God, who had set me apart before I was born and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might proclaim him among the Gentiles, I did not confer with any human being I didn't consult with the experts, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who are already apostles before me. But I went at once into Arabia, I'll explain that in a second, and afterwards I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I visited Jerusalem and I talked to Peter and I stayed with him for 15 days. What I'm writing to is is not a, a lie. In other words, uh, Saul is describing his start in the faith, and he said, you know, I had an encounter with Christ. He gave me a gospel mission. I went straight to it, and only much later did the others accept me. I didn't wait around for anybody. Uh, I didn't wait for training. I didn't wait to become an expert. (laughs) I just went to work, and I've been doing the work uh, ever since what I received, I received from God, and therefore you can trust it. You can trust that it is from God, is what he was saying to uh, the Galatians. I went straight to work. There was perhaps a pilgrimage in there. Uh, he mentions uh, to the Galatians in chapter, chapter 1 that, uh, that after, after, these, uh, after a, a first few days in Damascus, he went into Arabia. He mentions going into uh, to Arabia again in, in chapter 4. Well, he mentions Arabia again in chapter 4 of the letter to Galatians. Problem is after he, after a few days of starting his ministry in Damascus, he took a pilgrimage. Uh, he went south from Damascus into the Arabian Peninsula. Uh, people think he probably went to Mount Sinai, uh, which is where, you know, Moses met God on the mountaintop, um, which was a place of pilgrimage uh, for the Jews and ultimately for the Christians. So he, he probably took a little solo pilgrimage into the middle of the desert to climb a holy mountain and just to listen to God uh, for a little while. And then he went back to Damascus and got to work and stayed there, we're told, in Acts many days. Uh, he stayed put and, and got to work without any sidetracking whatsoever. A little prayer retreat, boom, and then right back to work, in other words, is what he's saying. Uh, and nothing, nothing sidetracked him, not attempted murder plots, not the rejection of other Christian leaders, not the suspicion of other Christians. The dude just preached the gospel. 
<clears throat> All right, I've stressed that point enough. Everybody say, straight to work. When uh, I think about this season in Paul's life, I always think about how there were other options for him. You know, after having an encounter with God of that magnitude, with the disruption that it brought to his life, there were other options. For instance, he could have taken uh, a, a long time out and had an identity crisis. I think, I think that was an option. Anybody ever had an identity crisis? It's like, well, who am I now? Absolutely everything that I based my life on is gone. Uh, we talked about that last week. Uh, Saul was like an intellectual superstar in his culture. Uh, he had gone to the best universities. He was studying under the most famous rabbi of the age, a man named Gamaliel. He was a rising star. He was a super patriot. Uh, he was like, uh, I don't know, you could think of him as like, a superstar U.S. congressman on the short list for future presidential candidates. You know, a guy like that. He had invested a lot. He had a very public identity. Poof, gone. And uh, if you've ever had an experience like that or any major life change, if you've ever lost a career uh, like I have or lost a fundamental relationship in your life, it's like it's hard to cope with that degree of topsy-turvy. And what most people do is that they turtle up for a while, you know? They take a time out. I gotta breathe. I gotta, I, gotta, I gotta figure some things out. So he could have done that. Uh, he could have gone on an apology tour. And I think, you know, a lot of reputable Christian counselors would have, would have counseled him to do that. Look, you know, you gotta, you gotta make it right. Uh, you have affected a lot of families by, I don't know, you know, like killing them and, um, and throwing their sons and fathers in jail and stuff like that. So uh, you got to go set things right. Uh, you got to uh, visit the people that you have ruined. Uh, you probably want to go visit the folks in Jerusalem and, and fall on your face uh, and, and, and apologize uh, for what you've done. And that... I mean, you can make that would have been a very moral thing to do. And he could have spent a long time trying to make things right. In fact, he probably could have spent the rest of his life things right for the families that he had ruined. That was a legitimate option. Uh, he, could have, he could have taken a time out and undergone a season of education or training. It's like, wow, I had this entirely wrong. Entirely wrong. Uh, this guy, Jesus, has appeared to me out of a bright light. I need to go talk to the people that walked with him for three years. I need to go talk to the people to whom he entrusted this gospel mission. I, I, need, to, I, need, to, I need to take some training classes. You know, I need to go to, I need to, go to seminary. I've got to get some uh, accountability. I've got I to get the, the history straight. I've got to get the details of all the Jesus teachings down. He didn't do that. Uh, he could have spent time on team building and peacemaking. You know, the churches were rejecting him. He could have said, look, I'm, I'm not going to build churches very well until the churches accept me. I have to make some allies. I have to, you know, I have to prove myself. I got to spend some time 
um, you know, setting up chairs on Sunday morning and, and sweeping up and just being sort of humble and trustworthy and all that stuff. He could have undergone a healing season, you know, uh, because as much as he wounded other people, he was probably wounded by the revelation of what he had done. It's like, wow, how did I end up so violent? What issues do I need to get in touch with here? Um, you know, I thought I was a good guy. It turned out I was a murderer. You could sit with a psychiatrist a long time and figure that one out. You know, my self-understanding was twisted. I really need some deliverance. Uh, the guy definitely needed a sozo. Sozo team? Oh, you didn't rep at all. That sucked. Sozo team. Thank you. Jeez, I mean, come on. He could have spent a lot of time just getting his life together because he had no job, he had no place to live, he had no nothing. He had, he had no, no future. Uh, all he had was uh, a passion to, to preach the, the gospel. And what I'm saying with all of that, guys, is that it's really, really easy to get distracted from doing your job in life. And there are a lot of good reasons to get sidetracked from doing your job in life. You have a ministry calling. It is the most important thing in your life on earth. Life equals ministry, right? We get to spend eternity with God in heaven, but these years on earth are the only years in which we get to minister in a way that influences other people. These years are for ministry. And there are a thousand things trying to distract you from ministry. And one of the huge things that is trying to distract you from getting to work, from doing your job and serving others and spreading the gospel and influencing your neighbors and caring for children and restoring people who are hurt and going to places that need the light of the gospel, one of the big things distracting you from that stuff is, is you. Because you need work. Because you're a mess. And you could spend years just getting trained or getting healed or sorting out your life and getting your act together and making sure that you have a job for the future and that your family is provided for. There, I mean, there's zillions of things to distract you from the one thing that counts for most, ministering, doing your life calling. And that's why from time to time we throw out a question, hey, what's your life calling? Now, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you should have an answer. It might not be a total answer, but it should be pretty good. And if you really don't know yet, then you're stuck. That's why I say you're stuck, because you're spending all of your time on side issues, maybe very, very good side issues. I mean, like, you know, caring for your family, that's a pretty good side issue. Getting yourself straightened out, learning, getting wise, really, really good side issues. But compared to the one thing, compared to what Jesus has called you to do, they're, they're just side issues. Seek first the kingdom and all these other things will be added to you, is how Jesus put it. And when the Lord called Saul, he didn't say, I will show him how messed up he was and what he needs to do to get his life straightened out. No, no. The Lord said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. He will be my witness to the job. I have a job for him. 
and all the training and all the change we get in following Jesus is on-the-job training and on-the-job change. And if you don't have an idea of what your job is, you are stuck. You're missing it. You're totally missing it. And stories like the life of Paul really, uh, really show that uh, to us. So what I want you to, to walk away with is this appreciation of the extraordinary value of getting to work, no matter where you are. You're, you're in school with a job, you're caring for a young family, uh, you're retired, low energy, no matter where you are, there is an extraordinary value of you getting to your kingdom work, uh, influencing uh, people for Christ. When Jesus gets hold of your life, it's like being hired. You're hired to a job. You're hired to a position. Uh, you know, you, you, have to, you have to leave behind your disbelief. You have to leave behind your sin. You need to re- repent of sin for sure because that stuff will tangle you up and weaken you and, and rob you of strength and keep you from working well. You do have to get rid of it. But it is equally important that you get to work, that you figure out what you're going to do to advance the kingdom because that's how we manifest trust in God. The goal is not to believe the truth about God. The goal is to trust the truth about God by taking risks on it. If you just believe in God, that counts for nothing. Even the demons believe in God. The Apostle James tells us you need to work on God's behalf. You need to make risks on God's behalf. You need to, to, to in, risk your life, which means either risking your death or, you know, spending your life on God. And, and we get that lesson over and over again in the Gospels and in Paul's story and in Paul's letters. Uh, I mentioned uh, the Apostle James, the brother of Christ, earlier. He famously said, faith without deeds is dead. You can have all the belief in the world, but if you're not acting it out in your life, then you're like a zombie. You're like the walking dead, and it's not going to go well for you. You're just going to rot away until, you know, some athletic-looking woman with a samurai sword lops off your head. I've seen the show. I know how it works. Um, Jesus said, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Incidentally, Jesus never said, believe in me. He only said, follow me. It's like, oh, you think I'm a good deal? Well, then come on. Join the ministry team. We're moving. We got stuff to do. Pick up your cross daily. In other words, it's going to cost you your life. It's like saying, pick up your electric chair and come after me. You got to get to work. You got to get to work. That's where all the wealth is. That's where all the joy is. That's where all the life change is. Uh, Sell everything you have and follow me, Jesus said to the rich young man uh, in another famous gospel story. It's like, if you want to learn how to convert, you got to figure out what's holding, your, what's holding you back. And in this guy's case, his, his wealth was holding his, him back from, from following Jesus. His wealth was preventing him from joining the ministry team. I, I have too many properties to manage. I have, I have a large investment portfolio you don't understand. I have to work 80 hours a week you don't understand. Um, and Jesus said, yeah, give all that up. If that's what's preventing you from doing your life calling, dude, you're screwed. He didn't say that. Well, if you read the original Greek, but, you know, you get, you get the point. Um, 
if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out, was one of the very first Jesus teachings we read in the opening stanzas of his ministry in in Matthew chapter 5. It's like, look, if you're not flavoring the world around you with the flavor of Christ and the kingdom, you're not good for anything. You're garbage, thrown out and trampled by men, he said, which is an incredibly rude thing to say. That's just horrible. Why would Jesus say such a thing? Well, I'm You know, from time to time, he would say things that were over the top in order to impress upon us the vitality of the point. You have a job to do. It is the primary thing. And if you get everything else in life right but miss this, then you're like salt without taste. You're like a a light that's been hidden under a bucket. You just don't have a point. And God forbid any of us should have a pointless life. Oh, man, that's the worst That's the worst. Give me a hard life. Give me a disappointing life. Give me a troubled life. Give me a lonely life, but do not give me a pointless life. Do not give me a pointless life. If you're pursuing purpose, the rest of the stuff will come eventually. Seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added unto you. More practically, if you want your life to change, if you're one of those people who just feel like, man, I'm, I'm kind of drifting. I feel like I'm spinning my wheels a little. I feel like I've been at this for quite some time and I'm just not really going anywhere. I feel like the, the adventure level is low. I feel like the maturity is low, level is low. I feel like I keep struggling with the same dang things year after year after year, well, the first thing I think Jesus would point to is like, well, you're doing your job. Are you throwing yourself into doing your kingdom job? Seek first the kingdom, and the other stuff will eventually work themselves out. Uh, We we, uh, sum it all up at uh, Blue Water uh, with our church slogan, which is a very complicated slogan. It's three letters long. Try try. Uh, Saul was not ready to start his ministry. He was, he was like a handful of days away from being a murderer, uh, but he just got up and tried. You know, try is the distance between, hey, this is a good thing to do, and wow, I'm doing it. In the middle, there's try. You have to become a person of try. Try is what gets you to act, what gets you to move. All right, so you might say, well, how do I get started on all this stuff? Yeah, I want a kingdom job. Actually, I don't know what it is. I can't tell you what my life calling is. I, I, uh, I don't know uh, much at all, but, um, but I want to convert. And conversion means not that you believe. Conversion means that you get to work, that you trust. That's really the fullness of conversion. So how do I get started? Uh, Very practically, I would tell you to join an Ohana group, uh, small groups at our church. They are listed on the inside uh, of your program, and that might not sound very dramatic. But if you knew our Ohana group leaders, uh, uh, you'd be even less inclined to go to these groups. No. um, They are uh, okay people. Um, They're they're fairly decent folks. but I tell, you, I tell you what they are. They're triers. They're triers. 
they are people in action. And that's really what the Ohana groups are for. You can't interact with people necessarily in a, in a robust way on Sunday morning. You don't get much time with them. Uh, and you don't really get to know them. They don't get to know you. But go to a small group, and that gets taken care of really fast. Uh, our small groups uh, at least are effective uh, at, at what they do. Go to a small group to get fed but go to get to work as well. And what you will learn is how to minister to other people and how to gather other people into the group, which is job one. Uh, so go to one of these. Uh, any, any Ohana group leader want to invite people to their group? No, okay, there's, there's Michelle. Look, she's got a really cute kid. Uh, you should go to her group. I uh, want your group meet. Where? Center, center of town. Center of town, uh, Thursday nights. Fabulous cook, by the way. I'm just throwing that in there. Uh, and, uh, and she does have incredibly cute kids. Oh, and a really cute husband. He's around here somewhere. He's just, he's just adorish, adorable. He's freakishly adorable. Um, uh, any other Ohana group leader want to invite people uh, to their group? Yeah, there's a... Where's Steve? He's Steve's not here? He's running a, he's running a marathon. Slacker. Stand up. And okay, so this is a good one because where do you guys meet? Capale. So like, whoo, right? So if you live out there, uh, talk to this woman. Uh, she's often nice. And go ahead. Antonio and Johanna just got back from South America. Uh, they ran with the capybaras. Um, if you want to hear about the largest rodents in the world, go to their group. Uh, and uh, they meet in, in Manoa on Wednesdays. Anyway, that's what you do. Uh, you just meet these people, and, and they will invite you into their homes and tell you stories about giant rats and stuff. Um, that's a great way to get started if you haven't done that. Um, every Ohana group leader in the church is, is skilled in helping people to discern their life calling. Uh, they've all had training in it, and they've all had a lot of experience with it. Uh, community uh, helps. Um, so they will, they will lead you in your pathway to purpose. Because um, you don't just identify it. You have, to, you have to build it. And there's an awful lot in Paul's story about that. We'll get to that uh, in, in the future. Uh, I can say uh, humbly, um, so I don't necessarily do it well, that I, um, I'm on a mission from God. Anybody remember the Blues Brothers movie? Yeah. I'm on a, I'm on a mission from God. Uh, the Blues Brothers didn't invent that. The Bible did. Uh, my mission involves uh, changing dominant culture with respect to how it understands God. I do that by building communities of faith and, and by being a teacher and writing books. That's what I do. Um, my, my mission involves repentance for sure because I'm always doing stupid and sinful things that are mucking up the gears and getting in the way. Uh, but but I, I pursue the mission anyway and it helps keep me healthy and honest. Um, I'm on a mission uh, from God in life and I hope that you have that sense as well. You don't necessarily need to be a senior pastor of a church. Uh, that's not uh, necessarily a great thing for anybody uh, to be... Um, but you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world and Jesus called you. He called you to a purpose. 
this is what Paul understood. This is what made Paul, Paul. And we see it from the very beginning. And the operative phrase is, at once. You must not delay. You must not delay. Delay is the weapon of chaos. You must not get sidetracked. You must start today. You must start today. That's how it works. You must try now. You must try now. And if your first try fails, then you have to try again tomorrow. But you must get on it. That's the lesson. It's the lesson of, uh, of the life of, of Paul. Is that like a downer message or is that an exciting message to you? Do you feel like, oh, I suck or this guy wants me to feel like I suck or do you feel like, you know, I want to convert. I want, I want, uh, I want a life with a point or, uh, you know, I'm doing okay. I just want to get rid of these sidetracks. How do you feel? More than anything, we feel quiet. Come on. That's good. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come uh, talk to us all individually right now. Uh, we make space for supernatural conversation with you. is always really gracious with us and, and, and starts with us where we're at. And I'm, I feel like uh, there are maybe a couple of people here who have just started a new thing, like started a new hobby, like, like you know, uh, a cooking thing or a class thing. Uh, and, uh, and you're asking the Lord, well, I mean, shall I, shall I do this? Do I need to do something more holy, quote unquote? Uh, and I think where the Lord would start with you is, is by saying, oh, no, go ahead and do it, but figure out how to be a witness when you do it. Figure out how to have meaningful conversations with people around you. Uh, make it count for something or get rid of it. And, and I think that's an operative phrase for a lot of us. It's like the Lord is saying, well, okay, but make it count for something or get rid of it fast. Make it count for something or get rid of it fast. Don't waste time. Maybe that's a helpful chunk of wisdom for some of you this morning. Why are you doing it if it's not good for the kingdom? A lot of what we do in life is just mundane. I mean, you know, you have to go to work and earn some money to pay the rent. Sure, just be a light at work and be a light where you live. Make it count for something.